0: You're listening to The Big Show on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan.
1: This is The Big Show in the morning. Sportsnet 960 The Fan, Logan Gordon and Patrick Dumas along with you. Our outstanding technical operators, Alex and Garrett in the other room. One hour to go. No Flames hockey today. They're back in action tomorrow night against the Vancouver Canucks. And uh, to help us take a look at the Flames' next opponent, very happy to go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline this morning and welcome in the play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks on our sister station, Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver. Uh, we say good morning to Brendan Bachelor. Good morning, Bachelor. How are you, pal? Good. How are you guys? Uh, we're doing good. Uh, happy New Year to you and yours. I uh, hope the holidays have been good to you. Um, we didn't get much of a Christmas break here for the Flames. We just got the uh, the three days in between back-to-backs. I hope the Canucks got a, a little bit more time for you guys to uh, to rest and relax.
0: No, they got the three days as well. <laughs> they played on the 23rd and the 27th. So Perfect. Sometimes you get the breaks and sometimes you don't. And This was one of the years that uh, I guess the Flames and the Canucks both didn't get the logger break.
1: Yes, and uh, both of them have been in action. They'll meet up uh, tomorrow night here at the Scotiabank Sandal Dome, but the Canucks were in action last night taking on the Winnipeg Jets. And uh, as always with Vancouver, it seems to be there's always something extra to talk about. But as far as the result goes yesterday, Batch, what can you tell us about the uh, loss to the Winnipeg Jets from a Vancouver perspective?
0: Well, really one of the Canucks' big issues this year has, that, has been that they, they're not consistent. And they can't string together a solid 60 minutes. Even when they win, there are issues in their victories. And, you know, other than a couple of games lately, they routinely give up three or more goals in, in basically every game. So they kind of have to outscore their problems. And it was kind of the same thing yesterday in Winnipeg where the Canucks started well. They got a goal in the first minute of the game from Andre Kuzmenko. Uh, we're up one nothing. But then the the Jets sort of woke up after the first period and the Canucks couldn't hang with them. And, you know, I've personally been really impressed with Winnipeg in, in the few games that we've seen them play. The Canucks, they seem like a really complete team that's playing to their structure very well under Rick Bonus, And they sort of took over the hockey game from the second period onwards and the Canucks couldn't generate much offense. Winnipeg hemmed them in their own zone for stretches, and you know took advantage of some of their opportunities en route to a four-two win with a Mark Scheifele hat trick leading the way. So it's more of the same, I guess, from this Canucks team that uh, you know at at times looks like they you know could be a really good team, but at other times they they kind of disappoint. And it was sort of that way through the final two periods of the game last night.
1: And that's uh, something that hasn't really been the case for Vancouver. They were on a three-game winning streak and had done pretty well on the road. And I think some people uh, observing the team batch had started to look at that and say, okay, maybe they're turning the corner when it comes to that a little bit. But as you, you mentioned, inconsistency has kind of been the name of the game for this Canucks group.
0: Well, yeah, as much as they've been better lately, they're a 500 hockey team now that they've lost the game last night Mm. so it's it's been one of those you know two steps forward two steps back kind of seasons right they started the year with seven consecutive losses and they've sort of been playing catch-up ever since so you're right they had won seven straight road games going into the game last night they won three in a row bookending the the christmas break but even in some of their wins it's it's been you know Maybe in spite of some of their play, that they've found a way to to win, and they do generally outscore their problems quite a lot. Um, you know, they've been a really good offensive producing team. Bo Horvat is having an unbelievable goal scoring season. Elias Pettersson, um, you know, is is doing what he usually does best, which is help produce offense. But it's their defensive play and their goaltending that really has let them down this year. You know, as I I said off the top, they pretty well give up three goals in almost every game they play. And in, you know, what we sort of jokingly call a 3-2 league in the NHL, Mm -hmm. if you're giving up three goals every night, it's awfully hard to win with consistency. And that's sort of what has been, you know, the struggle for the Canucks this year, because offensively, they've been great. They score lots of goals. Um, they just need to find a way to keep them out of their net, and that's really been a struggle for them for the most part this year.
1: And that was a problem, Batch, going back even when Thatcher Demko was healthy. It, it's not as though uh, Spencer Martin or Colin Delia and all of this have been the problem. This has been uh, a day one issue for this group under Bruce Boudreau.
0: Yeah, I mean, going into the game last night, they have the 31st team save percentage in the NHL, and you know, obviously that's not just the last... 5, 10, 15 games or whatever, mm-hmm. Thatcher Demko was really struggling at the start of the year as well. And, um, you know, he, he had an off-season lower body procedure of some sort. There's been a lot of secrecy around what that might have been. Um, there's been speculation that Demko, you know, had, had some sort of knee procedure in the summer. So coming into the year, it wouldn't surprise me at all if if whatever injury that was that he was dealing with hampered him a bit because he didn't look like the same goaltender that had really covered up for a lot of these defensive issues for the Canucks down the stretch last year, when when they went on that great run under Boudreau after he arrived and sort of pushed closer to a playoff spot, ultimately falling short. Um, So the fact that, you know, they came into this year, they didn't play well defensively early and they weren't getting the goaltending. And they still haven't been getting the goaltending now that Demko has been out with injury is, you know, a big part of of why they give up so many goals, as I've alluded to. So, you know, I don't think you can hang any of this on on Thatcher Demko or Spencer Martin or Colin Delia because it's a pretty tough environment for those goaltenders (laughs) to play in when they're facing grade A scoring chances. I think, for example, I think the scoring chances in the second period yesterday against Winnipeg were like 12 to 1 for the Jets and the high danger chances were were not great either. So, you know, when, when you're facing, you know, opportunities where you have to make routine five alarm bell saves to hold your team in a game, then, you know, it's even the best goaltenders in the world would, you know, really have to step up and play very well in that sort of environment, which is what Demko was able to do down the stretch last year, but obviously wasn't able to do to start this year, and now he's been out with injury.
1: Uh, I have to ask you, Batch. I know, uh, being in that market, you you understand when I say you know Canucks Twitter can make uh, you know something out of just about anything. Uh, last night, of course, not only does the loss come, but you know the, the incident—I'll call it—or the the sequence as as Colin Delia is trying to get to the net and uh, JT Miller is you know trying to help direct him there—and uh, many people took it as a sign of frustration and. You know, questioning what JT Miller's doing in that situation. How did you how did you view it from a broadcaster's point of view? And as someone that that's around this team all the time, how did you see that situation unfolding?
0: Well, JT Miller is a really polarizing figure in Vancouver and on Canucks Twitter, anyway, um, because he's a guy that wears his heart on his sleeve, and sometimes when he's not playing well, it, it kind of feels like he's throwing tantrums and things like that. And of course, he also just signed a lengthy extension that a lot of the fan base didn't think was the correct decision for the organization to lock this guy up to eight more years uh, as as a a guy who's just going into his thirties now. Um, So that kind of all sets the scene around GT Miller, who you know has been a great player for the Canucks. Was great for them last year, had a 99 point season. Hasn't produced as consistently offensively this year, and kind of has, you know, he's been back in the middle for the last few games, but they moved him to the wing for an extended stretch because he wasn't playing as effectively in the middle. Um, so he, he's a guy that a lot of the discourse and the debate in Vancouver is around him anyway. And then this sequence happened last night at the end of the hockey game where, you know, the Canucks are down 3-2. Uh, they're looking to pull the goaltender to try and tie the hockey game. And JT Miller's got the puck at his own blue line, and instead of – advancing it and trying to attack up the ice with about 45 seconds left to try and score the tying goal. He skates back in the zone and starts yelling at Colin Delia to go to the bench and ends up taking the puck behind the net and smacking the back of the goal, yelling at Delia. And, you know, I can understand wanting your goaltender to go to the bench to get the extra attacker out and trying to make that clear to him. That I don't have an issue with. But I said it on the broadcast at the time as we were calling the game he killed about 10 seconds of that Mm -hmm. final minute for the Jets by wasting his time going back into the defensive zone. So, you know, I think Miller has really good leadership qualities. He's a really fiery player that, you know, can can help his team in moments, but he also can hurt his team in moments like that. And that's kind of what I thought there, where it's one of those things where don't worry about what the goaltender is doing. Let the bench and the coaching staff you know, get him to the bench, you worry about moving the puck up the ice and trying to tie the hockey game. And ultimately the Canucks uh, do get Delia to the bench. They do turn the puck over in the neutral zone. And Mark Shifley scores an empty netter to complete the hat trick and, and win the hockey game. So uh, as always, you know, people on Canucks Twitter are opinionated at the, the best of times. And so uh, I'm sure there was a lot of debate after the hockey game last night, not just on Twitter, but on our post-game show on Sportsnet 650 as well.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Another point from last night that I wanted to bring up with you uh, before I throw things over to Patrick here. Travis Dermott uh, made his season debut, first game of the year for him, 14-41 of ice time, three hits and a blocked shot. Uh, He had sustained a concussion back in late September, I want to say, Batch, if I'm remembering things correctly, and hasn't been able to get back into action uh, until last night. What uh, can his presence do for the Canucks blue line back there?
0: Yeah, he didn't have the best game last night. Um, but that said, for a guy that you know hasn't played really, you're right. He suffered a concussion in a preseason practice in kind of a you know sort of a a weird play where he was just battling in the corner with a teammate and got caught awkwardly and suddenly was off the ice and wasn't seen from again for a very long time until he came back and was practicing in a, a non-contact jersey. So for a guy that you're right hasn't Hasn't played a regular season game. It was his first game of the year last night. It might take him a little while to get used to the the speed of the game and and back into the routine of things. But all of that said, he's a guy that, the way I would describe it, is he raises the floor of what the Canucks have on the blue line. Without him in the lineup, essentially the third pairing has had either Riley Stillman or Kyle Burroughs on it, and they've sort of both been healthy scratched almost equally, to this point of the year, so it's been one guy goes in, then he comes out, and the other guy goes in. So Dermott is a, obviously an experienced NHL defenseman, uh, a good skater, able to move the puck well, and once he gets up to speed, I just think that he provides a consistency on that third defensive pairing that the Canucks haven't had to this point. And it's also flexibility for Bruce Boudreaux, too, because Dermott's a guy that can play both sides. He's a left shot, but they've used him on the right before. And he's a guy that, you know, can elevate up into the top four if they go through injuries or if they want to tweak things or or move guys around. So, um, you know, I think in the long run, it'll be better for the Canucks blue line to have Dermott back. But uh, he might have had a first game to forget yesterday in Winnipeg.
1: We're chatting with the play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks on Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver. Uh, Brendan Batchelor joining us this morning. I'm Logan Gordon, joined by uh, Patrick Dumont. Patrick?
2: Brendan, obviously the Canucks have had their issues defensively, but one one guy who's been getting a lot of love from fans and from afar who's really built up his career once again is Luke Shen. Uh, This guy, 33 years old. uh, But, like, even if the Canucks, like, do crawl back into this race. Is this a guy that still would move come March 3rd's trade deadline?
0: Yeah, I think so. Uh, Just because I think the value for him is going to be uh, at the point where they almost have to move him. Mm -hmm. And he has been so solid and so consistent for this team this year. Actually recorded his 3,000th career hit in the game last night. He's the first defenseman since the stat uh, was recorded. Back in, I think it was 5 06, they started recording hits Ooh, as a stat. Wow. So the first defenseman, uh, since they did that, to hit 3,000 hits, um, he's he's been so consistent for this group. Really, as a guy that was in the AHL at one point yeah. with the Anaheim Ducks organization and was essentially told, I think it was Randy Carlisle at the time, told him essentially, you know, you, you can't hack it as an NHL player <laughs> anymore. For him to find a way to, you know, first of all, he came to Vancouver a few years ago and had a stint with the Canucks, which led to him signing a contract with the Tampa Bay Lightning and winning back-to-back mm-hmm. Stanley Cups. And now he's just, you know, such a solid veteran presence. He's played with Quinn Hughes a lot this year and has really fit in well, allowing, you know, a, a young defenseman like Hughes to ha- have a bit more freedom to roam, and Shen seems to always be sort of the solid defensive conscience Makes the right play all the time. He's exactly the kind of player that a contender or a playoff team that's looking to add an extra guy down their down their defensive lineup could use going into a, a playoff run. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if the Canucks move him around the trade deadline. The interesting thing. Uh, for him is that his partner is expecting a baby right around that time. So Mm. it it could be very interesting times for the Shen family come early March. But I would be more surprised at this point if he remains a Vancouver, cannot be on the deadline than if he gets moved.
2: Uh, Another deadline that's uh, quickly approaching here, January 1st, Andre Kuzmenko, he'll be eligible to sign an extension. Of course, he can only sign a one-year entry-level deal uh, coming over from the KHL this past offseason, but he's producing like a star that he can just get better and better in this league. How big of a contract and obviously there's contract that there's going to be Patterson's going to be in needing a new deal soon. You got the Horvat uh, issue ha- going on as well. Just how how it, like you got Andre Kuzmenko as well in this in this little piece of a puzzle here for the Canucks.
0: Yeah, I think Kuzmenko is going to be a priority for the organization. Yeah. Um, I don't know how early they'll start negotiating an extension because with the way he's been producing, the longer his camp waits to enter those negotiations, the higher that dollar number yeah. might become if he can you know, continue to produce down the stretch in the second half of the year and finish with a, a good offensive number. Um, but he'll be a guy that they prioritize keeping here in Vancouver, I'm sure. Uh, along with the Patterson extension that they can negotiate as soon as the summer. Mm -hmm. And it really is starting to look like Bo Horvat is going to be the odd man out in terms of this core group that, you know, unless they can figure something out here in the next couple of months, he's the guy that seems destined to be moved at the deadline. And you can kind of understand it from the perspective that, you know, Horvat has had such a tremendous offensive season. He scored a career high 31 goals last year And he's already got 26 goals this year, and we're still in December. So um, he's absolutely on fire. And for a guy that hasn't produced that way before in his career, he's setting himself up to make a ton of money. And, you know, it seems anyway, based on the way that these negotiations have gone, that the Canucks may not believe that that's something that's sustainable for Horvat and with their current cap structure where they're overpaying guys that the previous regime had brought in, like Oliver Ekman Larson and Tyler Myers, they simply can't afford to pay a guy like Horvat that much money, especially when you look at the fact that they just signed J.T. Miller to an eight-year extension this past summer, and they're likely going to sign Elias Pedersen to something close to an eight-year extension in the next calendar year, sometime in 2023. Plus, they've got to get Kuzmenko under contract it's just one of those situations where there probably isn't going to be room for Horvat in Vancouver, and, and that's likely where this is headed at this point.
2: Now with Horvat, does like his play, and it's it's a weird question just to ask, but it's just with the way the cap is in the league right now, is his play making it even more difficult to possibly move? Because it's going to cost even more for a team to, to pay for Bo Horvat to bring him into their club.
0: Yeah, I guess you know the conversation we always have in Vancouver around things like this is all it takes is one GM, yeah. right? You don't have to necessarily have a bidding war for Bo Horvat. You have, you just need one GM that thinks that Bo Horvat is the missing piece to his team uh, to buck up and pay whatever the Canucks are looking for, and you can get the deal done. But yeah, I, I would imagine that the more he scores here, the the higher the price becomes. So it'll be interesting to see whether you know, the Canucks are determined to move him and just get the best deal that they can or whether they elect to try and hold on to him. But, you know, again, I I would be very surprised, much like I was, you know, talking about Luke Shen, if Bo Horvat remains a Canuck beyond the deadline. But at the same time, this management group has kind of dealt with things a little bit differently in Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alveen. There aren't a lot of leaks that come out of the organization. You don't necessarily get a a clear idea of what they're thinking or what their plan is, and it's kind of exactly the way they want it because when you look at when Miller signed an extension uh, late in the offseason, all the conversation publicly was about whether he was going to be moved, and then out of nowhere on a Friday afternoon going into a long weekend, there was JT Miller signed to an eight-year extension. So as much as I can talk about how – you know, it looks like things are going that way with Horvat. In five minutes, they could sign him long-term, and that wouldn't necessarily surprise me either. It's just looking at their cap structure, looking at how they've been unable to move some of the bad money off their books that they wanted to this past offseason, in large part, I would imagine, because of the, the flat cap scenario in the NHL and the fact that all general managers seem to be struggling to make deals right now. Um you know, it it comes to a point where something has to give, right? You can't pay all these guys what they want and fit them all in under the cap, but uh, I'll be very interested to see how the market develops, not just for Horvat, but around the NHL in the next couple of months heading into the deadline, because for the most part, it's been a very quiet season in terms of player movement, because there's so many teams out there that need to be dollar in, dollar out uh, because of where the cap is at. Now, as we get closer to the deadline, there's a little bit more flexibility with that, and and teams could find a way to fit guys in. But, um, you know, with Horvat, I think another thing that's going to determine the return they get is whether he goes as a pure rental to a contender or whether it's a team acquiring him that wants to sign him long term and yeah. keep him within their organization.
1: Uh, just a couple more for you, Bats, before we let you go. Appreciate the time this morning. Uh, it's been 25 games now in uh, the green and blue of Vancouver for Ethan Bear. How has uh, that fit been for number 74 since coming over for Carolina?
0: Yeah, I think for the most part it's been good. Uh, he he was healthy scratch just before Christmas in one of the games that uh, that that they played, and it, it seemed like that was more Bruce Boudreaux using him to try and send a message to other players than it was necessarily that Bear had been poor. Um, but I think, again, talking about the Canucks blue line, the fact that Ethan Bear comes in essentially as part of a throwaway trade where they had to give up a fifth-round pick, to carolina and he's been you know probably one of their best two if not best three defensemen with hughes and shen in that conversation kind of shows the struggles the canucks have had on their blue line but he's exactly the kind of defenseman that they needed a guy that can skate he's mobile he can make a good first pass he can move the puck he can help transition out of their own zone which is something that they struggle with generally as a group uh, for the most part, I would say it's been a good fit. I think he, he could probably stand to play a little bit more consistently than he has. But um, but all of that said, the Canucks blue line has been better with Ethan Baer on it as opposed to before he arrived in town. So I think overall, it's been a, a win of a trade for Patrick Alvin and the Canucks management group, especially when you look at the fact that they also got Lane Peterson in that deal. And he has been up in the NHL, playing on the line with Elias Pettersson over the last handful of games. So, uh, anytime you give up a fifth-round pick and you can find a way to acquire two guys that end up playing NHL games for you, mm-hmm. and one guy in Ethan Bear who you know has has raised the ability of your defensive group when he's been in the lineup, I think that's a trade that, that was a pretty easy win for the Canucks.
1: Uh, just last, but certainly not least, is there a timeline for Thatcher Demko to return here? I know. Spencer Martin filled in admirably for a while now. The shine's come off a bit on him and and Delia as part of the team's defensive struggles. Do we have a timeline for when we might see Demko back in the Canucks' crease?
0: Yeah, I think they were initially hoping sometime in January, but everything's been kind of quiet around Demko, so it wouldn't surprise me at all if it's one of those situations where after the All-Star break is a more realistic timeline for Demko to come back, the initial prognosis was four to six weeks, which felt like it was, you know, maybe a tad optimistic uh, based on, you know, the lower body injury he suffered where he had to be helped off the ice by teammates. So it wasn't really putting much weight on uh, one of his legs. So, um, you know, we haven't seen anything in terms of he's been back on the ice or he's been working and, and been able to get out there and start working towards a recovery. So the fact that we're getting close to the end of the calendar year and that still hasn't happened leads me to believe that we're probably looking at early February at the earliest, if not even later than that, especially because the Canucks have a really tough schedule through the month of January. They go on a big road trip out east where they've got to face Winnipeg again. Then they go to Pittsburgh, Tampa, Florida, and Carolina. Um, So if, if they struggle through the month of January and kind of fall out of the race a little bit, It wouldn't surprise me if they give Demko even more time to recover if they don't feel like they need to force him back into the lineup quickly to try and make a push towards the playoffs late in the year.
1: Uh, Batch, thanks so much for the time today. Really do appreciate it. Uh, Have a great call on Saturday, and uh, happy new year to you and yours, pal. We'll chat with you uh, when the calendar flips to 2023. Thanks, Batch.
0: Sounds good. Happy new year to you guys and all your listeners as well.
1: Take care. Brendan Batchelor, the play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks on Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver, joining us this morning down the Atlas pizza and sports bar. Guest hotline, the Flames and the Canucks go tomorrow night in the final home game for the Calgary Flames in the calendar year of 2022. They will ring in the new year with an 8 p.m. matchup on Hockey Night in Canada against those Vancouver Canucks. We'll take a break, come back on the other side, finish off Hour 3 with a familiar voice. That's coming up next here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Uh, now, uh, as much as we like uh, just generally chatting with you, Matt. Yeah, um, we did bring in thought we'd have a little fun to uh, to finish it off on this Friday, and uh, courtesy of our pal uh, Jay Fresh uh, on Twitter, Jay Fresh Hockey, who uh, brings you all sorts of exciting sport content, hockey content, a bunch of analytics, and yeah, yeah, yeah. some nerdy does stuff. A great, does but, a bunch of good stuff. Around yeah, he's game. doing a bunch of stuff covering the uh, the World Juniors and in Halifax and Moncton Brilliant um prospects yeah but uh one of the fun things that he does on there every now and then was uh he'll throw up polls around different hockey things and different uh google polls and you know get a good view of something i believe was it his jersey rankings that gave the flames yeah it was yeah, yeah. i believe that was the one that named the the Calgary Flames with the uh the he, best set of jerseys in the uh, entire National Hockey League.
3: He did the which fan base is most annoying yep. recently. That one's <laughs> always the, the Leafs or the Rangers or the Habs always come out on top mm-hmm. of that We're one. And then he always puts out like the which team do you cheer for and which team is <laughs> the most annoying. It's so funny to just see like <laughs> so obvious. Just Flames yep. Oilers just right head to oh. head. Rangers, Islanders, yeah. Island, uh, Leafs and Canadians. <laughs> But one of the things that he did at the start of the World Junior Tournament was he said, I'm jealous of the World Juniors. I'm going to do all the hard work. And he made a whole bunch of Google documents and assorted a whole bunch of Canadian, Swedish, Finnish, American. And I can't remember if he actually did the Russians or not. I think he did. I think I, he did. I think he did, but I didn't write down my but roster. But
1: he did a, uh, like a, I know, yeah. wink, wink, hint, hint. Yeah. It's just not
3: in this tournament that we're
0: playing.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah we're, <laughs> but here's we're the, talking <laughs> about it, but let's be honest. Here's the deal. So.
3: He, he came up with it. He did all the work. I said, okay, now that these are nicely assorted because it's always a fun exercise to do, make your own roster, uh, I'm actually going to do it. Yeah. So I went through and I did it and I created some lines. And as on my way out the door, uh, I think even that last week we were here at Duma, mm. we probably could have dived into it a little bit, but oh, yeah. the, we are just so busy, just creating the, such good radio. Oh yeah. Busy, busy times. Yeah, busy times. it was tough. So I said, <laughs> why don't I just come in one day and we can try and do it then. Yeah. And of course, with uh, the final days of the preliminary round and the medal round getting going for the World Juniors here, why not? Mm-hmm. So figured, why not?
1: So we get to uh, we get to play GM. We're going to do Team Canada. Um, our wonderful producers and technical ops over there, um, Alex Brody is going to uh write these down for us and you guys can get your opinion on our Team Canada's. And we're like, we're just doing this for fun. This is all hypothetical that at oh, the yeah. end of this season, coming up in the summer, we were to play best on best hockey. We haven't got it in forever. We're assuming everybody's healthy for this exercise and we're talking about what could be, because let's be honest, guys. And before we get into this here, we've been robbed of a lot of great oh, yeah. best on best moments. Decade mm-hmm. plus. Whether it be the Olympics and the IOC's disagreements with the NHL about having their players go and how that affects an NHL season. A pandemic. Or a pandemic gets mixed in there. You add in the NHL's inability to figure out things in time for a, a timely World Cup here. Uh, World Cup of Hockey, and you've missed out on a lot of opportunities. We have never seen Sidney Crosby and Connor McDavid at the same time mm-hmm. put on a Maple Leaf, and that is a tragedy um, that I, I hope gets rectified. But even that, if it does, I will realize it won't be at the peak that yeah. we would have wanted to see it at. Uh, yeah, it
3: it sucks. Frankly, mm-hmm. it sucks. Every time World Juniors come around, I. I'm always excited to watch the World Juniors, but I'm always kind of disappointed that we don't have something. Like, why aren't where the these best guys... in the world
2: playing against the best in the world with their country on yeah. their chest? You and know?
3: frankly, even if we brought it down to Canada, U.S., and Sweden, Finland, the four best of three yeah. Yeah. winners face each other. Yeah. Like even then, I would I would enjoy watching something mm-hmm. like that at this point. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's been too long, and it's still a fun exercise to do, even though I don't think we're anywhere close to it.
1: Yes, it feels as though we're still miles away from this happening, but you're right. Um, It's still a fun thing to do, and we thought it'd be a fun Friday exercise to to bring to you. We haven't shown each other. I I think you've seen Matt's roster. I've seen a little bit of Matt's roster. A little bit of it, but we tried to keep ourselves as separate as we can. Now, there's obviously going to be, some lap overs. I mean, mm-hmm. let's be well, honest. Let, okay, think- so let's start here. Who are the locks on the teams?
3: Because we're going to have some guys that are all similar, right?
1: Yes. Uh, forward locks for me: Crosby. Yep. McDavid. Yep. Uh, Marner. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Marshand.
2: Mm-hmm. Bergeron. I have as an extra. But He's yeah. on mine. But on but, on mine, but yeah. we can have a little discussion there. Uh, Nathan McKinnon, McKinnon
1: obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, Huberto Um, or Stone? I have both. I have both. All right. Stamkos? I have them. I have, I have, uh, I don't have Stamkos.
2: Tavares? I have Tavares. He's extra on mine. Okay. Uh, Barzell? Extra. Uh, Braden Point? Not on mine. Braden Point is on mine. Point's on mine.
3: All right, boom. Okay, so we got some, some locks here. For locks, we got McDavid, Crosby, McKinnon, Marner, Stone, Huberto, Marchand. That sound right? We got eight locks. Yes. On the forward group. Yeah. Uh, I don't know where you guys kind of wanted to go from here, but I got a lot of centermen on on my roster. Yeah. As I started. Yeah, to go that down. happens. <laughs> <laughs> That'll happen because basically we've picked the the four wingers that I really think everyone is going to have on their rosters: Huberto, Marchand, Stone, and Mitch Marner. I don't think that mm-hmm. there's really a whole lot of other guys that you look at and and say they're mm-hmm. definitely going to be. On this team, uh, I managed to come up with a couple of wingers that I thought might be able to get a look here. But at the same time, I'm kind of looking at an extra position after this. We have to use up those four winger spots. I'm I'm kind of just looking to add more centermen yep. that can play up and down the roster yep. if you need something that happens. So we got our eight guys. Like for me, Stamkos is on the team.
2: Yeah, I think so too. I think like Steve Stamkos is. I'd have him right there on the uh, like. I have him in a second line right wing spot. Uh, lining up uh, alongside Crosby and Huberto. I think that would Mm. be a a line that with Huberto and Crosby's passing ability and also Crosby's ability to score some goals as well. And Steven Stamkos, we know he can score 60 in this league. So, yeah, that would be, I think, would be a very good uh, scoring line on my team for sure for for power play as well. But, yeah, Steven Stamkos, I think for a guy that, you know, was so close to being on the Canada roster in 2018 then had the injury, you know. He deserves a chance, and he's playing some of the best hockey. Yeah, in and, st-
1: and it's not anything against Stamkos for me. He's an extra on my team. Mm-hmm. I just I, I went with guys that I think because I don't think offense is ever a challenge for ta- for Team Canada. No. I, I try to look at versatile guys. That especially when you look at teams, and the Jay Fresh one is such a good experiment to look at mm-hmm. a team like the United States, who is so deep, and you're going to need to shut down options here. For me, it's still valuable to have like a guy like. Ryan O'Reilly winds up on my roster ahead of him sure. because okay. it's not necessarily the offensive. He can still be a good offensive mm-hmm. player, but when I'm sitting there thinking, okay, well, the Kachuk line all of a sudden is coming out with Brady and Matthew and whoever else in the Jerome. United States, right? <laughs> then I'm starting to thinking, okay, I want a couple of guys here yeah. that I can throw over the boards yeah. and know I'm going to get a really strong defensive impact. And also, let's be honest, penalty killing still a big part of these tournaments. Oh, yeah. I want to have a couple guys that I feel are top end penalty killers in this mm-hmm. league, and mm-hmm. for me, if you can throw out Bergeron and uh, a guy like O'Reilly back-to-back as your center iceman, potentially, on a penalty kill situation, to me, that's really valuable. And again, it's nothing against Stamkos. I just think I can get offense from other places, and he's still on my team to be fair. Yeah. like he's still, he's still there. It's just I feel I have offense elsewhere.
3: The thing for me is if you bring Steven Stamkos... He's probably got the most lethal one-timer on the entire Canadian roster to have Mm -hmm. on the power play. Um, The one guy that I was looking at that's on my team that's not Ryan O'Reilly but of a similar caliber is Nick Suzuki, a guy who can shoot the puck off the other side of the power play who's extremely stout checking Mm -hmm. other teams' top talent. Like You put Suzuki, Bergeron, maybe a Braden Point together as a checking line, I think you're going to really like how that group is able to – not only provide a little bit of offense for mm-hmm. you, but also check in that sense that Logan's talking about. Uh, I did want to ask you guys about one wild card here, and mm-hmm. he's someone that I had put on my J Fresh roster and actually didn't even make kind of the final rankings because he had less than 5% of people put him on. But I have Connor Bedard on a line with Connor McDavid and Jonathan Huberdeau. Really? I do. <laughs> I've watched... Quite a bit of Connor Bedard over the last couple of years while he's been I, we, with the we've
2: Pats. Been, we've been seeing a lot of Bedard.
3: And then <laughs> he's had a couple of nice days at the World Juniors recently, beating up some some real lesser opponents. Yeah. Some of those no-look passes to Dylan Gunther on the power Stupid. player. Disgusting.
2: But I have Connor Bedard on my team here. Bedard was one extra on my team, and this is why I, I have the thing. I go back to the 06 Olympics, and I know... Uh, Sidney Crosby had a little bit more NHL games under his belt, but I thought the 06 team, the way it was structured, we'd just have to look at the roster and look at how the results were. And I feel like having 87 on that team back in 06, I don't know if it wins them a goal, but just it would have maybe just seemed a little bit better. You got to get exposed to Crosby early on. I felt the Russians had Ovechkin on their team in 06. I was like, what were we doing? And I I think it was a style of game. I I think if you want to, generational guys deserve a chance to, to play with this. And we know, I think... Bedard gets into the NHL; he's not going to look out of place.
1: I wouldn't be against having him in camp. Mm. I, I think my initial <laughs> instinct would be that I, I think Team Canada would lean, and I think brass, when you're talking about you know a John Cooper, yeah. that sort of thing, would would probably look for more pro experience against men because while well, I'm with you that the mm-hmm. talent is undeniable, the only thing is is you just don't have that sample size against a Victor Hedman or, Mm -hmm. you know, even men of any caliber clearly at his own age group, he's as dominant a player as we've seen. Yeah. I just, I I wonder in a best on best scenario, how management looks at that and says, I I just might take a a more sure option because for us, this isn't a, I just don't know that I look at, at these best on best for Canada you know, a team that considers yeah. themselves a gold standard type of team, as a as a team that's going to look and say, "Look, we know in four years or two years or whatever, you're going to be a major part of this for us." Yeah, I don't know that right now is the time to to put you there.
3: I'm bringing him. I, don't
1: I like. it. I no, still like. I, like you got to think. Like the, I, it's like to, the opportunity to have him and and put McDavid on a line,
3: ninety seven and ninety eight side by side. Sign me up. The players
2: that you, season, you leave at home, like. You know, I'm thinking like you got like Bo Horvat would be left at home. Maybe Mark yeah, Shifley. Yeah, that's the thing too
1: is you're going to have a conversation with somebody that's put in some time with Canada, mm. maybe at an Olympics or maybe at something else. Mark care. Shifley, Bo Horvat,
2: Nick Suzuki.
1: <laughs> that's a tough conversation, <laughs> man. Ah, it's a hypothetical team. I don't, I don't care. That's fair. You don't have to have that. That's fair. You don't have to have that. Okay,
3: let's
2: do this. D quick. or you want, so, we want. so we
3: got eight, eight locks on forward mm-hmm. McDavid, Crosby, McKinnon, point. Huberto Marchand, Stone, and Marner. Who are your five extras that you're bringing?
2: Five extras. I am bringing Bergeron, mm-hmm. Bedard, O'Reilly, Dubois, and Stamkos. Nick Suzuki. Stamkos is on my team. Or are we? Are you, are you away, from locks. away from the lock? Away from the lock. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. So Stamkos, Bergeron, Bedard, Dubois, Horvat. Okay. So Suzuki didn't make How about you?
1: Uh. We said uh, we said McKinnon, McDavid, Crosby, Bergeron, Marshand, Marner. We, so, uh, so I got Point there, mm-hmm. I got Stone there, mm-hmm. I got Huberto there, mm-hmm. I got uh, Shifley there, I have Tavares there, I have O'Reilly there, and I have Stamkos there. So.
3: Yeah, I don't know how we, we've gotten all sort of mixed up on our locks here. My extra five are going to be Bedard, Stamco, Suzuki, Bergeron, and hmm, for the sake of it, I'm going to take... Okay, so let's do this one more time. Matt
1: 97's a lock. Yes. 29 is a lock. Yes. 87's a lock. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. 63 is a lock. Yep. 37's a lock. You have Bergeron? No, no, no. No, no Bergeron's no. not.
3: No. Huberto is? Huberto is? Marner, Stone, and Pointer. Marner, Stone... And Point R. Okay. We all have Marchand. That's eight.
1: Okay. Yeah, he said six. So, so then so then, Bergeron, O'Reilly, Tavares, Shifley, Stamkos for me.
3: And we
2: got the defense yet here.
3: minor Stamkos, Suzuki, Bergeron, Bedard, and Matt Barcel. Boom. And we're going to put them all out on a nice, pretty roster, and you guys can roast us on social media all day, too. So there will be that. All right. Mm-hmm. But let's move on to the defense. This is the toughest one for me. Uh, the locks are less. The locks, I, I would argue, three locks all down the right side. Ekblad, Pietrangelo, Makar. After that, everything's up for
2: grabs. Thoughts? I have Makar, Ekblad on the top pair. Two right shots, I know. But I have lefty, lefty on the back end, and then righty, righty. So I go I go Makar, Ekblad. I do the Vegas pair of Theodore, Pietrangelo, mm-hmm. Morsi, Hamilton, mm-hmm. Jacob Chikrin as my extra. Okay. Uh
1: I got McCarr, uh, Ekblad. Uh I go to the Vegas pair, Theodore, Petrangelo. I also have Morrissey Hamilton and uh Uyghurs my extra.
2: Mm. I didn't even so, think of Uyghur.
3: Uh I know Uyghur actually did really good on yeah. the voting, but he didn't necessarily make mine either. Uh <laughs> yeah. I had Ekblad and Adam Pellick. As my top pair. Pellick was just on the outside for me. six 6'3", opposite hand of Ekblad. Yeah. <clears throat> when you're thinking about uh shorter tournament, yeah. I put a lot of emphasis on... I put a lot of emphasis on two things at the blue line. Long, mm-hmm. lengthy guys, mm-hmm. and that everyone's playing on the right side. This is
2: where Jay Bomeister always came in handy. Exactly,
3: yeah. right? That's why I'm getting Pellick, 6'3", one of the best defenders in the Eastern Conference, mm-hmm. if not the entire NHL. Put him on a pair with Aaron Ekblad. you like that. I'm actually going to split up the Vegas pair. I'm leaving Shea Theodore at home for Josh Morrissey and putting Morrissey with Shea Theodore. Uh, Morrissey's actually the smallest guy I think I've got on my roster. Actually, it would be Kale McCarr, who's only 5'11". Keeping the Colorado pair together with McCarr and Taves. Okay, And then my extra would be probably Drew Doughty, just because of how much he loves playing for Team Canada. And he could go in and do anything for you, and he Mm -hmm. would be an absolute dog at it. I hemmed and hawed between him and Owen Power.
2: Owen Power was a guy that I thought of too, just for size. But again, like lack of experience playing in the in the, the big big tournaments, kind of in the same way yeah. the Dard. But you know, wouldn't hurt. Uh, Jared Spurgeon thing- was a guy I thought as well, of well as well. Such a good skater. Uh, Thomas Shabbat. Uh, Noah Dobson. Dougie Hamilton, up and coming Jay Noah Theodore. Dobson, like yeah. that guy's good. He scores a ton.
3: Chris Latang's another name that obviously yeah, you have Letang. to throw in anytime you have one of
2: these
1: conversations.
3: Dougie,
2: Dougie Hamilton, I thought was a really good fit here too.
1: I think you have to have. I think there's a a perception about Dougie that's out there that he's not. I just think transition wise, mm-hmm. the ability to get the puck out of your zone. I yes, he's a bigger defenseman at like 6'3 or 6'4" but he doesn't play that traditional style of physical of mm-hmm. a guy that size. Yeah. And people look at him a different way because he doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. He's still incredibly talented offensively. He's as good as there comes in a, in a defensive zone, you know, mm-hmm. uh, scheme. He can be a part of the rush. He can do, I, I think everything that you ask from a defensive standpoint. Doesn't make it for me. Cause he's right-handed and
3: you've already got Ekblad, Pietrangelo, McCarr and Dowdy, who I would all take ahead of Dougie Hamilton.
2: Just uh, Yeah. And
1: that, you can't ignore what Morrissey's done this year. Oh no. Goodness,
3: he's been Josh so he's been stupid. I I uh, the first time you threw Josh Norsey at me on the show was probably six weeks ago. And <laughs> I was Josh like Norsey. come on, what are we talking <laughs> about? Settle down <laughs> <laughs> and then you go and watch them over the last little bit. I'm like, okay, yeah, back to back
1: Calgarians for the Norse. Let's go. Let's go. I'm in. <laughs> uh, now, goalies. the position that is the most <laughs> worrisome, <laughs> the most, <laughs> especially school? when you see that other teams have like oh three number God. one options. You <laughs> got four. And you get kind of, one. Put, you're kind of pissed off because you you look at our list. And hey,
3: Russia, you're not going to be there. You're not going to use those guys. Uh, it's right? just
2: Dirk and Vasilevsky. The must have a Canadian
1: <laughs> cousin or something, right? Yeah, like Vasilevsky. <laughs> Yeah, Shostarkin, Gorgia, it's stupid. Um,
2: Bobrovsky, if he ever wanted to figure it out. Here's what I did for
3: the goaltenders. I basically made a list of who I wasn't bringing.
2: Okay, that's easier said than done. And then
3: I said, here's a bunch of guys, and whoever's had the best six weeks going into it, come on down. I said, here's who's not coming. Uh, Jordan Bennington. Yeah. See you later, uh, Matt Murray. I'm not bringing that clown
1: to an international event. Yeah, I don't. He, so you can
3: be f- an international he, so incident. You can <laughs> fight the Americans? No, actually, I don't need you to do that. There's no fighting. I'd in be this. more worried about him fighting his own guys. Yeah. Frankly, like I just don't want him around, just for the <laughs> anyway. antics. So he, even if he might be the most technically or, or the best goalie, whatever, of any of the Canadians right now, still, mm. and he's so streaky. Uh, I'm bringing Mark andre Fleury.
2: Yeah, you said that. You're, Even if yeah. he's
3: going to be my third goalie and he's not going to see a second of ice time, I'm bringing the flower he's just so, to have him he's around. on mine, too. He was
2: big in that role in 2010 as a third goalie.
3: I'm bringing Logan Thompson. Uh, he's yeah. got experience playing behind some of these blue liners. And uh, I'm bringing Darcy Kemper. Okay. Um, two guys who have kind of been in some pretty challenging spots and made it through. Uh, those are probably the guys who I would go with. The maybes, Carter Hart, Cam Talbot, Jake Allen, and Tristan Jari.
2: I go with uh, Carter Hart as my number one, Tristan Jari backing up, and then Logan Thompson as the third. With uh, just Fleury, Kemper, Bennington, and Blackwood missing on the E. I the
1: got Kemper starting uh, championship pedigree with Colorado that I like. Uh, big moments. He's been Bowl there before. Championships, yeah. uh, Carter Hart is my backup. Um, I th- actually think getting him away from a... Defensively terrible system in Philly. Um, he could actually shine out to be the goaltender that I think he is. Mm-hmm. And Mark Andre Fleury is my is my third. I think that's a good team guy. I think that's a guy that can be called upon if need be. The opposite of Jordan Beddington. pretty much. Exactly. Yeah, opposite. exactly. Where your teammates don't despise you and ask you to please stop getting in bar fights every five minutes.
3: Daryl's a coach, right?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No,
2: probably not. <laughs> probably not. i would be a old um, warrior. John Cooper.
1: Uh, uh, yeah. Bedard wouldn't be on your
2: team. if, if Bedard would not coach. be on that team. That's for dang sure. Yeah. Might need a little
3: bit of a different outlook on the behind the bench, if that's the case. <laughs> might not see a whole lot of ice time. Might not get on that line with McDavid and Hubert. Probably not. No. That's too bad. Hey, thanks for having me. Hey, this well, was thanks fun. Thanks
1: for joining us. Uh, we'll put these out on Instagram. Uh, you can follow us there at Sportsnet960. Are they going to um, be more
3: organized in the segment? Yes, oh, probably. Probably.
1: Good. I I Alex so. is doing it, so odds are <laughs> it will be more <laughs> organized. Than the tweeted. Alex yeah. Brody. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Have yourself a fabulous weekend. It's a long weekend here. Flames are coming up on Saturday. Uh, have a happy new year. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back at this again next week. We're back on Tuesday. You mm-hmm. little holiday Monday in you. Uh, have yourself a great rest of your Friday and a great weekend. And keep Stay it locked safe here on Sportsnet 960, the fan.